All right, and I think we're live here. If this uh, video feed figures itself out, this is Devin Guerrero. I go as Pacifica Divine on Instagram, and I have as my guest tonight, Luan Nguyen. Hello. Thank you, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm All excited. Right. All right. This is kind of a inaugural joint session. I did like a solo last week. It was kind of a dry run. Gotcha. But, Lou, have you ever been on a podcast before? I can't say that I have. I've recorded my own, but I haven't been on someone else's as a guest. How's, how's that gone in your own experience? Uh, it was tough. So I had an idea that I wanted to pursue mostly my interest in science. Then I wanted to do a mm -hmm. science related podcast because I find it so fascinating. But what I found was that it was a lot of work. <laughs> so I, I know very well. Yeah. Right because I feel like science listeners are very scrupulous. They yeah. will scrutinize every single detail you get wrong. So there's a lot of background research that's required and I found that I didn't have a lot of time to do it so I kind of strayed away from it I, I went towards a more colloquial style in the second episode and I just shifted away from it I felt like that was not the direction I want to take it so now I'm kind of exploring another idea but I haven't gotten it started yet now Lou what's your actual background what are you doing right now what's your field if I can ask so that. my I have a bachelor's of science in molecular cell biology I studied at Cal State Long Beach. I'm in the process of applying to medical school right now. And uh, I'm just a big science nerd. <laughs> big science nerd since I was a kid. And that's generally where my interests lie, where the intersection of philosophy and science meet mostly. Now, I think a lot of people would say that as an up-and-coming, uh, even younger person still, because people look down on us as very young still. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone would say, like, yeah, this is exactly what you want out of STEM, right? Like, the, you want young people getting into professional industries who have a genuine interest. Yeah. I was just running into some really interesting, interesting information. Uh, I was taking a look at how genetics seems to really dictate all of our interests. Where do you happen to land on that? Do you think you're predisposed to your interests in this regard? Um, I think, overall, the consensus is that it's... A little bit of both so the argument of nature versus nurture isn't really an argument about one versus the other it's how much does each play its role in your phenotype so like how it plays out so genetics definitely have a role in many different aspects of personality and behavior but a lot of what we find is nurture as a huge um, influence on how we behave and how we act on top of that, there's a field, a burgeoning field of uh, genetics called epigenetics, which is really kind of reinforcing the idea that nurture plays a larger role than we previously thought. So our environment dictates how our genes can behave too. So I guess the easiest analogy that most people use for epigenetics is every gene has an on-off switch, right? Okay. And that's how we control certain things in our body and physiology and behavior. But our, so our genetics are predetermined, right? Like Certainly. we have skin cells and we have heart cells, but they all have the same DNA. But one cell differentiates into something different and the other differentiates into a skin cell, right? Um, epigenetics is what determines how that cell differentiates. But what we're finding is that these on-off switches can be passed on, they're heritable, and that's why okay. it's epigenetics. It's genetics, it's... Epi meaning on top. Mm -hmm. It's the control form. It's the control that lays over the genetics underlying our DNA. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this has mainly been shown within uh, sorry cases where 
famine conditions are imposed on yeah. the test subjects. Is that yeah, correct? That is absolutely correct. Okay. Um, there was a lot of research in a lot of the famine and hunger that came out of you know post World War One and World War Two. We had a lot of massive cases or massive studies of you know I think there were Hungarians that suffered a lot of hunger, which is kind of a funny That's thing. That's kind right? of it's yeah, weird. Too on the nose with that, but uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's fascinating. Um, so nurture plays a huge role. So does nature. Our genetics definitely influence who we are but nurture seems to play a larger role than we've previously expected. And it's, I think genetics is the most hot topic right now. Uh, I don't know if you've been, if you heard about the Chinese scientists in the news re recently. I don't know all the details. A few weeks ago, I picked up something about uh, splicing human DNA. Yeah. And that seems to be the gist of it. I think CRISPR yeah. has been mentioned a lot. Yeah. It seems that, it, on that subject, uh, it, I can't help but think back to uh, Nietzsche and mis uh, misinterpretations. Mm -hmm. Say, uh, the idea of creating a Superman, it's completely incorrect. He's talking about something else. You know, a super brute is more, the more likely creation of messing with these kind of genetics. Yeah. You know, that's where I... Let's see, how would I put it? Um, like, if you take away... If, you, if you're changing... Someone's genetic structure, whatever you're adding as a benefit, is likely taking away at the same time. That there's so many things going on. Yeah. Right. Like it's that's a very it's, it's sophisticated so... and complex system. Yeah. We don't know that it's as simple as on and off. Right. There are so many things that are interconnected, and they affect each other. So the entire the entire conversation right now in the ethical implications of what that Chinese scientist did, I think his name was um, He Jianhui. Um, he basically kind of rushed the gun because CRISPR and gene splicing technology, specifically CRISPR, is a very nascent technology. It's very new. But the ethical implications of rushing to uh, an embryonic implementation of the system of CRISPR-Cas9 is really risky because we still don't have the technology dialed in yet. Like, it's a very new technology, no older than 10, 15 years. So it's kind of frightening that somebody would kind of act so aggressively, but that's the entire conversation going on right now. It's what are the ethical implications? Because he, he successfully implanted embryos into a woman who, through IVF. Mm -hmm. So these are the first humans that are gonna be born with you know, gene splicing, basically, or gene editing technologies, not splicing, but... And there does seem to be a lot of worry about these kind of getting out in the population, although at this stage, it doesn't seem very likely. No, yeah. Um, that was a, one of the concerns, but generally what we're worried about is uh, the implication of us not understanding the full scope of what we did in that experiment and whether or not the... I think I believe they're twin girls right now is what they're saying, but we don't know how their life is going to pan out. You know, um, that's the number one thing. The second is where do we draw the line on what genetic modifications we can do? We ha we are getting the technology that will allow us to fix certain diseases, mm -hmm. and that seems to be the big impetus. It's like okay, well we have the technology we should be working towards fixing these single point mutation diseases that are really lethal. But what this guy did was he 
basically edited a a gene that was responsible for receptors for HIV. And um, the problem with that is there was no huge impetus for it. Like the, the babies weren't likely to get HIV. And HIV overall is a pretty manageable disease nowadays. At this stage. Or, uh, not HIV, but AIDS. Uh, HIV being the vector that carries the disease and then AIDS being the full-blown disease. But that's the big argument. It's like we wanted to withhold human clinical tests until we had sufficient reason to utilize the technology. And on top of that, we have to demonstrate its full safety and efficacy before we even try it on human beings. So the scientist in 2017 was invited to go talk, uh, to give a talk, and um, he basically talked about how he was already using uh, the CRISPR-Cas9 system successfully in mouse models and uh, primate models. But he never mentioned the fact that he was planning to do it on humans, and then now all of a sudden he's announced it, and that's kind of taken the world by storm because it's kind of generally accepted within the scientific community that that's a big no. We should definitely slow it down until we have it dialed in. Because if we do make a mistake, an egregious mistake, and say the two girls that are born from this experiment suffer some sort of long-term disease or ultimately die because of the intervention, then that's going to set back the entire technology because everyone's going to be much more cautious or wary of moving forward in that kind of research. So it's detrimental all across the board. I think it's fascinating and it's important that we move forward in that department towards human clinical testing. I just think it was a little premature, but I'm just a, like a, I'm a layman. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I understand. Think you, I think you spelled it. You, you, Spell it out yeah. really well right there. This Holy is crap. mainly from my own understanding. Um, and That's a lot of what I've read, yeah. said, and yeah. people are going to be able to get that a lot yeah. easier than they probably would be able to read it. Yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah, it's that's kind of the point of this, is yeah. that now if we were, we're hashing anything out that we want to talk about, mm -hmm. and the ability to say it communicates it much better than if you're forced to read. People don't have the time. Or, I don't, it's, yeah. You say attention span, that's a little mean. No. Just, you know, you get what I mean? It's, it's that visually what they're taking in they can process more simply yeah i want to argue yeah that this format say on youtube or just listening to it will be much easier for them to kind of just take in yeah and so a subject that like if it was physics but in this case it's gene splicing yeah. you know just that we're talking about it in a way that you know you could understand it even yeah. if you were a lay person that's the yeah. entire point that's yeah, i mean that that's is, and I would like to emphasize that I am by no means an expert in this. Oh, like, no, this is really no, no, just this a is, hobby. This you know, is, like, yeah. I like following this stuff because, you know, that was my you know, degree. And I feel like it's important in moving forward as a future physician and scientist, hopefully. <laughs> we'll no, I know. Cool. I'm all for it, dude. Yeah. But, yeah, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. It's interesting mm. to just see that unfurl. I think that's a really interesting subject. I just love science and philosophy. <laughs> no, I am, um, if we could switch over for a second. Of course. Um, well, I, I think it's kind of, it was, I was trying to intertwine something there and it didn't quite work yet. Um, the fee, I think there has been a large fear on the gene spicing front of the, the super human thug, right? Like yeah. the superhuman that will yeah. lead to our dismissal, right? Yeah. We, we have moved past all of our uh, cousins and past family. Yeah. You know, we must have overtaken Neanderthals and Denisovans yeah. at some point yeah. uh, in our move across or out of Africa. Uh, 
is there a superhuman in the wings that's going to kind of be able to dominate our culture by able, being able to move more easily within it because of their born skills? Yeah, I think uh, those are actually the kind of things the scientific community is guarding against. Like, ideally, we don't want to have a system where people who have money can have greater access to a better life genetically that will create larger disparities across classes and that is also one of the large ethical implications of what's going on right now so hopefully we don't get to that point i really don't think it's fair unless that access is given to everyone it shouldn't be a product that is sold only to people who have the ability to afford it so on the philosophical front do you have any other particular issues with that subject of gene splicing. Do you see any particular issues that haven't been raised yet? Mm. I, you know, I don't know the specific technicalities of the entire process really well. I understand the gist of what CRISPR-Cas9 is. I haven't worked with it in the lab at all. But from what I understand, like, we're barely scratching the surface of how to utilize it. There are a lot of people already implementing it in you know animal models which i find completely i find it to be the most responsible way to move forward with this technology i definitely think clinical trials on humans should be held till the last the know, last step yeah the last step so as of right now i'm i'm starting to be concerned with how the public's going to perceive all of this you know um but I might be on the wrong side of the fence with this. Like, uh, you know, Dolly the sheep caused a lot of concern. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, it was the early 2000s or 90s, I forget. But even as a kid, I didn't understand the subject very well. But I remember it caused a lot of concern for my family members. And at school, people discussed it. Um, but truthfully, now, after I studied it in my undergrad, like, it was a pretty... It was definitely an adventurous move. Mm -hmm. But... I felt like it was pretty well controlled. They they talked about the ethical implications of it long ahead of time. Um, we weighed the benefits of it, and it made sense at the time. This was a move that was kind of acted by a rogue scientist. <laughs> I feel he just kind of went for it, and you know that's he didn't go through his inst institutional review board. That's a common step in uh, scientific experimentation, especially when you go into clinical trials. You want to well the the traditional steps are you get you go to your review board at your university or whatever institution you do research with and they discuss it and then they talk about the ethical implications but it seems like he's bypassed this entire step the university he uh is associated with sent out a public uh message saying that they did not grant him you know the right to do this experiment mm -hmm. under their facilities so it's fascinating to see that you know, that we have a rogue actor in science. And that's kind of another topic on its own, like the desire for people to, you know, gain fame or, you play know, God. patents that, yeah, play God or get, gain patents that can make them money or very or are very lucrative by nature. So it's kind of a moral hazard, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're no longer in a place where the consequences of such actions outweigh the benefits. And that's kind of dangerous. It's really interesting. I think um, I was having to think that, you know, rules and regulations, restrictions, they all seem to hamper progress. And there's a big argument to be made there. But it does seem that if there's some structure that he was supposed to have gone through that would have seen whether or not this was viable or not yeah. as an experiment. Yeah. Um, and he just didn't want to put up with it. Yeah. 
it does it does and it seems that if he has to hide it he's probably anticipating that he'll get shot down yeah and so is there any thought in your mind that we should have more open-mindedness about the type of experiments we should be allowed to do what are we allowed to do see and that's where we get I think, yeah. more philosophical is that yeah. what are we allowed to do that's a yeah. question that we can start breaking into a lot of different categories yeah. and how autonomous as human beings may we be yeah you know how do you need to be past a certain threshold intelligence you know yeah. or what does intelligence matter if you know street life is what really matters yeah. and you know you got street cred and that's all that matters yeah i think uh there's a gray area for a lot of people when they're thinking about topics such as this, um, largely stemming from the natural fallacy, you know, like that there's, there is a natural state and that certain things are unnatural and certain things are, but truthfully, that's a distinction we've drawn out of a social construct. It's not a real, I don't, I don't believe it to be a real distinction. So that kind of a viewpoint or framework can be dangerous for a lot of people because if there is no defining characteristic of what is natural, then how do we move forward and how do we navigate our way through uncharted territory, right? Because you have no compass, so to speak. But I don't think we should be using that as a compass overall. I think what is important is, you know, the same moral and ethical implications that go across every single discipline of life, like we were talking about human lives we're talking about the population at large what will benefit us overall what are the costs and what are the benefits so i think a straightforward cost benefit analysis is important but the idea that something's unnatural and we shouldn't do it is a fallacy on most counts and um for example like uh natural foods and gmos have had this large i guess um battle right a lot of people are completely against gmos yeah and you know they believe like natural foods and i i get where all that's coming from right because we're living in a world where it's difficult to discern what is a good thing to eat right we have preservatives and all sorts of food people have no idea what these preservatives are what they do in your body and i'm just saying the general public doesn't oh, no, I, on the subject of diet i think we could we could which let's break into that yeah, yeah i yeah, think yeah. that's great because that's that's something that's been I know a little bit about now yeah uh, getting onto the ketogenic diet and yeah. before i i don't i mean i had a girlfriend that was vegetarian like mm -hmm. you, you move in with them you become vegetarian yeah, yeah. um you, you kind of just learn through osmosis right you just yeah. pick, kind of pick up as like i grew up with the pyramid yeah and that's bullshit apparently yeah. so <laughs> yeah uh, i got i became a veggie yeah. and then i'm i'm back to eating meat and yeah. i'm i'm i feel better about how I look and how yeah. I feel. Uh, I I probably have woke up groggy for like well over the past ten years. Yeah. And something that they said would happen did happen. We wake up kind of alert on the yeah. ketogenic diet. Now I'm not sure if that's just a placebo or something. But mm -hmm. To me, it's legit. And yeah. That's that's it's it's such a change in the way my body functions and now how I live. Yeah. That's like that's totally real. Yeah. That's that's very effective. That's incredible. That just. You are what you eat, literally. Yeah. That's what it seems to come down to. And then the gut health yeah. is the secret component of that that most people don't even consider. Yeah. They'll get on the good diet, but it won't work. Yeah. You know, the gut health is, is has a huge effect on how your brain functions. And that's been another thing. I've gotten a ton of clarity. Yeah. And so that's been really great for just being constructive. 
Yeah. You know, I used to want to be the Elon Musk type, you know, where I'm, I'm working all day and yeah. I'm loving it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've been closer to being able to get there yeah. on the ketogenic diet. Like ketosis supplies me with like long-term mental energy yeah. and I'm feeling no crashes. I have no hunger and yeah. it's, it's, I'm fine. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think overall the ketogenic diet has its flaws and has its ups. Um, just like any diet, I think every person needs to listen to their body. So some diets may work for you, some might not. That's what I believe. And I think in the nutritional world, that seems to be what is kind of coming out right now. People like uh, Andy Galpin, are you familiar with him? Oh. He's kind of a superstar. Oh, no, I don't know. Um, I think I caught him on Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's, you know, at the forefront of exercise physiology, he talks a lot about how diet is something that is very personal your body metabolizes things differently it can it, you know this comes back to the nature versus nurture thing there's a lot going on like um your genetics might determine how you metabolize certain things and on top of that your lifestyle leading up all the way to this point will also determine how you metabolize things so there are two things that contribute to how you metabolize food in your body but overall i think just cutting back on carbohydrates is a big health benefit like it seems to be that sugars are way more unhealthy for you than just eating high-fat diets. As long as you're eating good fats, you know, um, there are differences between fats, but we'll get to that in a second. No. Um, just cutting back on your sugar. Insulin sensitivity is an important thing that you need to maintain. So if you eat a high-carbohydrate diet, or even just what we consider a normal carbohydrate diet, is actually much more than you actually than you need overall. So you develop an insensitivity to sugar and your insulin levels don't really affect your blood glucose uptake. Um, all that aside, like I won't get into specific details of it, but generally it's just too much sugar is not good for you. No, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. know it. I know it. And sugars being carbohydrates, I, I think a lot yeah. of people miss that idea too. Like we, when we talk about sugar, we think about fructose and glucose and mm -hmm. stuff like that, but car complex carbohydrates are sugars yeah yeah they're just long long chains of sugars so. i think most people they just they think of the calorie game they think mm -hmm. nothing of the carbs the protein yeah. they, they understand that protein is meat that's yeah. what they get they get so they understand yeah. i think that you know most people they're so used to shoveling food in their yeah. mouth they're not I was one of those people <laughs> i'm right there that's why i'm like I'm, I'm preaching the other side now yeah. is that like i was in that side yeah there's been such a difference yeah in changing my diet, it's it's for me, it's absolutely exactly, real. yeah. And I think when you can feel the effects like that, you can't deny it. Or yeah, that's what it seems I agree. like. I agree. I mean, just anecdotally myself, like when I changed my diet to like a lower calorie, lower carbohydrate mm -hmm. diet, I noticed a much more sense of a higher sense of alertness. Like I was just, I would wake up feeling alert. I would feel great throughout the day. But on top of that, like the exercise definitely boosts it. So I think it's important to get a good amount of cardiovascular exercise yeah. a day. Um, but yeah, I remember there were times when I was like depressed going, you know, struggling through school. I didn't have time for the gym. I wasn't eating right because, you know, 
when you don't have time to cook, what, what do you do? You go to Jack in the yeah. Box, you order. Absolutely. Yeah, I order like six tacos. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. You got a one sitting plus a burger. Oh, oh man, yeah. you're you impressive. It was disgusting. Damn. It was dis- it's not something to be impressed by. <laughs> not as, you know. But I would feel awful. You know, I would feel. Like, you get the gratification yeah, you first, get, yeah. and like, oh, that's a big payoff yeah. right there. All that meat. Like, yeah. I mean, what is that? That's like you, your body craves it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something. Yeah. We have a craving for fat and sugar. Oh God, that's natural. Um, especially sugar is because uh, back in the day when fruits weren't always around, oh, yeah, yeah. They, were, they were a seasonal thing, right? So when there were fruit, they tasted so good you wanted more, and that's just Certainly. evolutionarily selected. Yeah. Like, okay, we're gonna make fruit taste good because we need you to eat more fruit. Like, get as much sugar as you can right now because you might be hungry for the next thirty days. <laughs> oh, God, that's yeah. a harsh existence. It is a harsh existence. Yeah. So we're not built for the. Um, rugged outdoors life that we we actually are built for yeah. meant for yeah, yeah we're no longer able to so easily jump back in yeah be hunter gatherers if we required to do exactly so. it does seem though that hardship seems to make something more of the human being yeah and it's not necessarily physical only but i i kind of think that hardship is kind of required for life or yeah. life which can envision values mm-hmm. or the the value of value yeah i know i think that's might be the yeah. biggest point so i think that um is kind of maybe where we might be able to turn it towards yeah. jordan peterson perhaps yeah. and the impact of mythic uh mythic storytelling and religion maybe okay if you're willing to get into that of course all right do you want to break as anything long as you don't open? mind as, as long as you don't mind me poking holes at it no, 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 that's, <laughs> what, well, that's what the entire point okay. is we've just been talking so far i think yeah. about what's interesting but yeah. then this will be an opportunity to get into i think I don't have a dog in the fight. I kind of like to look over everything okay. and take everything in. Yeah. But I, I love to get people with different points of views because yeah. then we can delve into, well, why is this idea otherwise beneficial by most people? Mm-hmm. It has got a, you know, a real critique going on. Like, yeah. what's what's really going on? Because I would argue that right now, Jordan Peterson, Peterson is getting a lot of, um, like, he's, he's lasted, he's lasted, um, a good while now, I feel. Yeah, like he's, he's, got, he's not. He's got a large following. I, I think he's only grown. Yeah. And I think um, I forget which interview. There's a very recent interview that he did where I feel like the level of interviewer has stepped up too. Yeah. Where I feel like these ideologues on the left are no longer able to uh, knock him down because yeah. he's actually rather. Um, it's a really potent guy. I, I see him as like a new yeah. age kind of Nietzsche, you know, that kind of... So, my issue with him. So, I think if I were to take some of his ideas on an individual basis, some of them are great. Like I told you, I'm a big fan of his uh, motivational stuff, right? Yeah. And the psychology of how to be a productive human being and a happy human being. I think that stuff's great. But if you look at the overall package, he there are a lot of things. And he's a, he's a psychologist. He's a trained PhD psychologist. Like he's a smart guy. But psychology is a field of science. Yes. And he touts a lot of things that are pseudoscience, which definitely bugged me. Um, my first, actually, my first exposure to him, I didn't even know who he was, was um, on the Sam Harris podcast, which I'm a big okay. fan of. Cheers, by the way. Oh, Thanks, sir. Cheers. Oh, that's lightning. Yep. Ah, uh, it wakes me up. Oh, I love that. If people watching, this is kombucha with a 4.5 alcohol uh, setting percentage. This stuff, it's great. 
Wait, who, who is that? It's Flying Embers? Yeah, sponsor us. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, we'll do this we'll all the time. This. Yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah. It's good shit. So, he was on the Sam Harris podcast. I don't know who he was. And they had a very uh, calamitous discussion. Uh-oh. I think it's kind of well-known in the, you know, in the podcast community that that episode was really poorly done because what happened was they got stuck on one idea. I think... I'm going to interject briefly, can kind of fill you in where I am, and I'll come back to your story exactly, okay. is I picked up the second half, not second half, the second one, yeah. where they picked on that subject mm-hmm. to do their second podcast together. Yeah. So that's how much I know about that one. I didn't catch the first one, though. I didn't uh, listen to them okay. getting to that problem. So they got stuck on the definition of truth. That's, I think, um, yeah, I think every philosopher has something to say about that. Yeah, but... I think I align myself a little more with Sam Harris on that because if we can't redefine the word truth, I think that is at least, we can't have a metaphysical discussion if we can't have a discussion about objective reality and use and play by the same rules. Like we have to be able to play by the same rules. Uh, Jordan Peterson would not admit to truth being something verifiable and objective in nature. He was saying it was something grander than that, that if it, he almost, was leaning towards an evolutionary um, position or neo-evolutionary position on truth, saying that if it confers evolutionary advantage, then it's a truth. But Sam Harris was saying, no, if we're going to talk about just straight, strict philosophy and we're going to have discourse about this, then we need to accept the term truth as being verifiable and objective in reality. And they wouldn't move past it. Uh, I definitely didn't like how Sam handled it, but I, listening to Jordan Peterson, I found it very troublesome that he couldn't concede that idea or that definition. Um, I think it's important that we have metaphysical discussions, but we can't be redefining. If everyone's talking or defining their own terms and common terms, right? If we're redefining common terms, then we're not having a discussion because one person is using a different lexicon than the other. And now we're just getting back to sophistry. So that's another interesting thing right there is that when one individual or class of individuals, let's say, for example, a particularly small class of individuals, we found that through social media and media in general, that a small group can actually have a huge message and make a ton of noise like the trolls on Twitter. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, no, no, no. You're like, you're this small. Yeah. There's, there's like none. Yeah. Okay. And so, and yet they have a huge effect. Mm-hmm. And so I think Jordan Peterson is someone who, to kind of bring this back to that whole uh, line of discussion, is that he was someone who got attacked for uh, enforced pronouns. Is that the term? Enforced um, and pronouns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole pronoun issue. So right? I mean, that's enforced how he became, pronouns. that's how he made right. his claim to fame. All right, so, so that's, that's uh, that whole individual lexicon or class of people with their own lexicon. It doesn't seem that you know, they should be able to impose that on society. And that's kind of where we're, we were just going right there. Mm-hmm. It seems that we have to be able to be strong enough to stand up for our own values. It seems that if you have some sort of set of values you and you want to go out and we were, you know, we, we discussed Nietzsche freely. So into the marketplace, the yeah. world at large, if you want to go out into the marketplace, if you don't like your, you know, if you um, are uncomfortable with how people treat you and how you want to be treated as part of your values then you have to stand up for them yeah agreed you know that's kind of the 
the gist of it. Agreed. And so you can't really, I mean, can you enforce this kind of this fixity of your mind onto other people, even if you're a smaller class? I mean, can I, you? So I stand with him on that. And that's what I'm saying. There are things he purports that I agree with, like that I champion, right? I think gender or, you know, identity politics overall, specifically gender politics, is kind of silly. Like, let's not muddle the entire conversation. Not everyone is out to get you. We, I can accept that you want to be called something else. Tell me that on a person-to-person basis, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I don't think it's something that should be enforced by law. And that's pretty much, from what I understand, Jordan's point of view on that too. And I completely agree with that. Like, and that's how kind of how he became famous, which was kind of pointing at the left and saying, hey, you guys are taking this too far and we shouldn't have laws that enforce these pronouns because this list can go on forever. It's kind of an endless list of things that people want to be called. Um, I think what's healthier is just looking at an individual and treating them with respect. And I don't think we should demand certain things. (laughs) Like, I don't go out and expect or demand people to call me by you know, a specific name, I really, you know, I'm not one of those people. I understand some people are. Uh, I just think it's a silly thing to focus on. Got it. Yeah. I I think you're totally right on that. We're all just individuals and human beings. Um, That's kind of where the left is losing right now, and that's why people like Jordan Peterson can step up, because there seems to be, uh, like, a lashback for hypersensitivity, but that's kind of what I take issue with Jordan, too. I find, like, a lot of times he's, like, trying to trigger people and, like, writing that. Like, oh, you're triggered. I'm going to keep going because you're triggered. But really, not not all of us are triggered. You know, I consider myself center-left, and I, I'm not triggered by it. I think, I think free speech is important, but I don't get triggered by people saying things to me, and I don't feel like we should censor anything. You know, like, we shouldn't censor people's opinions. At least let's have discourse about it. So, yeah, the gender politics thing, I get it. I get Peterson's stance on that. It's just all the other stuff that really doesn't map onto reality is what bugs me. What's, um, what's like, an, I don't want to like put one at the top, but uh, what's another example, say, with Jordan that... Uh, he's a climate change denier. I didn't hear that about it. I yeah, heard that. Yeah, see, yeah. see, a lot of the... A lot of the um, he's attacked plenty, but a lot of uh, information on him now is rather, you know, he's... He's embattled, yeah. but he's otherwise survived long enough that, like, yeah. oh, okay, we'll, we'll kind of yeah. take you in and accept you. Yeah. And so I don't, haven't heard that part. Yeah. Uh, so he he was pretty much roasted for uh, posting a article or video from a, known, a website known to be a purporter or a propagator of pseudoscience. So, yeah, so he got, he got ripped apart in the scientific community, but he was just, uh, I think he said something about like, uh, it's been so long. Let me try to remember the caption. He posted the video and he said, for you, anti-capitalist something, something. But, um, the video was from a, uh, Prager University, I think, but they were, they're well known to tout a lot of pseudoscience. Matter of fact, the, the author of the paper, he of the article he posted was uh, also known to have written a paper that said the link between smoking and lung cancer isn't a strong one. <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's it's stuff like that that makes me question his 
I guess, uh, validity in the conversation. Like, if he's a scientist and he can't see the difference between things like that, that bugs me. So, as a whole package, that is something I can't reconcile. Mm. I can't. I can't take him as a whole package as a good faith instant walkator. I think he he has some strong points. He has some things that are very valid. Um, I'm not a big fan of his religious stuff, but that's my own personal view. I'm okay. a very atheist. I think we should leave the the ethnocentric Judeo-Christian conversation out of discussions about morality and ethics. I think, yeah, we, you know, this is back to where we're trying to take the direction of this conversation, which is you're saying um, the strength of stories, right, and the power of stories. Mm. So, I mean, let's hear your opinion on it. Uh, do you think that Jordan Peterson honestly believes that the Bible can give us value outside of a normal philosophical discourse? So traditionally, philosophy has tried to base its ideas on on reality, right? Or on, you know, not talking about metaphysical, I'm talking about just like an ontological framework where we can discuss ethics and morality. We try to base it on our reality. So do you think that his usage of the Bible and all the parables in the Bible is a good direction for morality? I believe that Jordan is getting onto something that is really quite... Uh, it's intelligent what he's doing. And I think that he could know better, but that he's kind of, he's thrown his dice in with this issue entirely. Mm -hmm. Where I feel like this mythic storytelling, I happen to know, is incredibly effective. Yeah. That it's it's powerful shit. That's why it's yeah. very useful. It is very I useful. I think that's the m biggest thing that catches my eye, is that's, that's the type of storytelling that works. Yeah. Just flat out, I know. Um, People can't seem to argue with these huge trends that you notice in culture and history across different uh, uh, spans of time. That I feel that these uh, ways of mythic storytelling, and he uses all sorts of examples. And I mm -hmm. think the Judeo-Christian one is this the, the latest one, most recent one that we're most familiar with, and that's why it's useful to him and to his own personal background. So mm -hmm. he then connects that, though... <laughs> With all these references that you know, I, I'm sure plenty of people pick up um, with the Egyptians, with Horus, for example, going mm -hmm. down to the other world. I mean, there's all these connections. Yeah, yeah. They occur in different yeah. religions, different cultures at different times. They seem to either pass Sun on. worshiping cultures. Yeah, yeah. so um, that's, that's one. There's um, another one that he likes to bring up a lot. I think Gilgamesh in mm -hmm. Babylon. I think that might be another that one. Still... That's thousands of years prior still... to the Abrahamic faith, though. Yeah. And so these are. These are long-term trends that have moved human beings, moved human beings, yeah. and have seemed to pass on these mythic storytelling uh, values okay. uh, through time and culture. I agree. They seem to move people, and because we seem to need to put value into our world, yeah, into everything. I think we, our whole issue in our ancient times with. Uh, monumental building I think that was in part to kind of I need to put some like inscribing our fears into the night sky that we were kind of projecting what we understood onto our world as a better mm -hmm. way of understanding yeah. our world and the actual rituals and practice of religion with these stories essentially allowed us to 
move on and by that i mean just live yeah to be yeah that seems to be it gives it gives a lot of guidance right in how we comport ourselves um my entire issue with it is that do we have to take it as an absolute truth so for example i know you're a big fan of nietzsche and Mm -hmm. he writes you know these great parables right but do you truly believe all those things happened in reality no, no, no. My, 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 see, that's a stint because I grew up in a religious background, Roman mm-hmm. Catholic, I think you as well. Yeah, too, right? yeah, yeah. I was Roman Catholic. Um, and I think a lot of these systems are very old. So people within them, either you're born in a way where you're either going to imbibe it yeah. and take it, yeah. right? You drink the punch, yeah. or you get sick and you throw up because yeah. you realize this is not right. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be just individual yeah. how the people kind of come out of these things yeah because I, I know people who are full in with some things and you drink the kool-aid and then other people who yeah. are, you know they're the atheist of yeah. atheists right you know like so I'm, I'm with you i think these stories have great power right to guide us spiritually and to give us something to kind of wrap our values around but my issue with jordan peterson is there are times where he'll He's, he's a closet Christian in a sense, right? Because, for example, in one interview, he was asked if whether or not he believed Jesus Christ resurrected after three days. Like, does he truly believe that Jesus Christ died and then came back to life three days later? And he couldn't give a yes or no answer. And he basically said, it would take me more than 30 hours to give you an answer. And that, to me, is an issue because, let's be honest, like, we all can't say for a fact that it happened or it didn't. But I can tell you, it's probably not true. You know, like, it, we don't see that on a day-to-day basis. People don't die for three days and then come back to life. That doesn't map onto reality. The fact that he can't accept that because it's tied to the Judeo-Christian, you know, tradition, that's an issue for me. Because now you're not a good faith interlocutor. You're a person who's tied to a scripture and you believe you give it more value and truth than it actually contains. And that's my issue with it. Got it. And I, I would like to kind of connect this in part. I have, I'm not sure if I brought it in here. I have, um, it's another book by Machiavelli, Discussions on Livy, perhaps? That might be it. Um, Discourses on Livy? Someone will correct me. But in one part, he kind of makes the point that a religion has its use in moving and motivating the larger populace. Mm-hmm. That's the integral issue for yeah. the ruler. He's writing essentially for... Uh, rulers or potential yeah. rulers on the notion of government and yeah. governing that seems to be a huge issue because governing power seems to be able to impact all other power yeah right that seems to be the reality of our world yeah and so we can talk about all these other systems and hierarchies but mm-hmm. there's a certain core of power which seems to be able to affect all others and religion is a very heavy cudgel to move a huge amount of people mm-hmm. in some directions of yeah. power. And it seems that, I want to say, Machiavelli was smart enough to see the use of religion, Roman times, present time in Italy, and so he was able to discuss that. Yeah. And right now, today, is Jordan Peterson really closet Christian, or is he a transitional figure in time that we can kind of look at? Here's someone who's kind of not really Christian, they have a background in science, and they're getting something kind of new while still kind of intellectually discussing and breaking apart all the issues that we might have problems with. Yeah. It seems like he could also be, as much as you know, he is a closet Christian, let's say, Yeah. Um, he could just easily be 
this kind of transitional figure because I want to say that to move forward, we have to be mindful of those who are religious yeah. in our world. And you know, if we want a better world, we'll have to work with them. Agreed. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, 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 yeah. that's, 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 if we, I think, backed off that too much, we'd be stuck kind of creating our own tribe. Yeah. You know, the uber intellectual, anti-religious yeah. kind, right? So, yeah. which is out there. That's totally it's out there. That's true. a group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think in the realm that he occupies, which is the realm of discussing morality and ethics and, you know, the truth about the world, we can't have conversations about things that aren't true. Um, but if it's if he is the necessary stepping stone for the mass of religious people, the masses of religious people to move away from the deeply, you know, fundamentalist ideas, then yeah, that's great. But as a person who is trying to, I, I just think we shouldn't we shouldn't undersell how clever or how smart people are. I think we can get people to the place they need to be through discussing truths and reality without using parables all the time. Parables were a great tool for a long time. I think we should shift forward from that. We should be talking about the objective reality that we occupy because there's nothing else that matters, in my opinion. You know, I'm maybe I'm being a reductionist, but I think that our objective rea reality is the only one we know. It's the only one we can have discussions about See, that's where that's a wonderful point to make because from right there we can say, well, how about when we take hallucinogenics, we mm -hmm. enter another reality, mm -hmm. one that's within, yeah. one that we can all access and speak about. And yep. unfortunately, yes, science does a great deal to explain it, but in metaphor and parable, yeah, yeah, these it's are very powerful. Exactly, it's and much so, more powerful than in like any scientific or philosophical work can really cause any change or motivate you to change. I agree with you. Yeah, that's um, spirituality is a very real thing. I don't deny that whatsoever. What I'm saying is we don't need to be telling people lies. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, what do you say we fire one up and get into the hallucinogenic discussion? Sounds good. Because I'd love to discuss the powers of the mind, maybe your own personal experiences. Um, cool. I'll say right now to the audience, uh, I think hallucinogenics are perhaps one of the most therapeutic things that you can engage with. For your psyche. Yes, I think it's a form of self-healing that has been largely, completely and knowingly sidelined by forces well above yeah. um, our means to really comprehend. Yeah. And it's a really unfortunate thing for, I think, yeah. humanity. Uh, this whole war on drugs. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, by the way, the uh, ma ma the false mason jar was where the stash is, just <laughs> in case you wanted to know. Yeah, that's important shit. So this is a, um, God, I haven't had like a single one. It's called a Holy Smokes Methodically Crafted Full Flower Pre-Roll. Yeah. And it's even got a little Jeezy Creasy on it. That's beautiful. Okay. In honor of Jordan. How about that? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> like I said, I love the guy. I think he's, uh, he's he has a lot of good things to say. A lot yeah. of things that are motivating to the younger generation. But I think in the larger arena of academia and philosophy, he doesn't stand a leg. But wow, that's a statement right there. <laughs> that is a statement. Whoa. Yeah, I, I like this. that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I've watched a lot of his debates, and a lot of times he he kind of goes to the, oh, you're taking it out of context. You won't get it. And that's not fair. Explain it to me. Like, explain it to me to the point where I get it. See, I think, I, I've, I think I've heard very recently, and it might have been from Sam Harris on Joe Rogan, I might have been thinking of someone else, that if you can't 
explain it, then you have no really no basis to really to be making that argument out yeah. in public. Like you shouldn't be putting it out there. Like you're you're not set up to make this argument. Yeah. So don't be exactly. standing up as its champion. Yeah. Because from what I've you know what I've experienced throughout my life was every time I encountered a great truth, mm-hmm. one that I wasn't aware of yet, it made crystal clear sense when I heard it. Right, like it was very simple and straightforward. It wasn't wrapped up in a crazy package. It was just very clear cut. Like this is a truth that someone has discovered. They've conveyed it to me in a simple way that mm-hmm. I get it and I feel it's truth and I understand it's truth and I can see how it can apply and be extrapolated to many different areas. Right, that I find to be an actual truth. Something that when you hear it, it makes total sense. There's no confusion. There's no large, you know wordplay there's no you know it's not sesquipedalian are you that's one of my favorite words by the way beautiful word they haven't asked you it's an ironic word it's a some oxford you know academic was like i'm gonna make a big word that means using big words sesquipedalian but yeah i just i'm very cautious when i encounter things like that um in science especially when you know when i was a tutor i was told like you don't really understand it if you can't explain it like they're five so you got to understand in simple terms. Richard Feynman was a big champion of this. What if uh, this... Oh, please go ahead, by the way. Oh, um, thank you, sir. Yeah. Greens, please. That's, Hopefully that's this important. will never make it to my medical school. Oh, <laughs> no, this is... I mean, come on. Elon Musk like, burned a big fat... Uh, yeah, and he's no longer or... chairman of his company. Yeah, that's a little, <laughs> see, that doesn't seem right to me. It's, yeah. That's... That's a whole fucked yeah. up thing. Let's, we can get into, I think, grass and what's yeah. acceptable, I think, in a moment. Yeah. Uh, let's light this thing and get into hallucinogenics. Yeah. I plan to quit this as soon as I get into school, though. Hey, hey. Because they drug test all the time. That's true. <laughs> yeah, boy. That's, that's good shit, right? It's delicious. There we go. That's what I wanted to hear. <coughs> <coughs> So if you're tuning in for an articulate conversation, you might want to tune out now. <laughs> Just watch the first half. <coughs> it's going to be good. Oh, shit. <coughs> Fuck. How long have you been smoking? Oh, man. Dude. 24. Okay. And to be honest, it's only because I had a girlfriend. Yeah. Totally worked out though. Yeah. Uh, figured out a lot of back pain and um, figured out a lot of my internal problems, my anxiety. Yeah. Um, I think my mind expanded absolutely due to marijuana. Although looking back, I'm very glad I didn't get into it when I was younger because I think then it would have caused me much more problems. Yeah. And being able to get into it in college, yeah. it's totally like it was like a timing thing. It worked yeah. perfectly for me. Yeah. And um, it's not a crutch at all for me. I use it. Um, only at night, generally, mm-hmm. and I actually use it. Uh, let me get this one. Pass. Yeah, you're good. I use it to dance. Ooh, Nietzsche recommends to fight gravity. I love dancing. Dancing is akin to yeah. fighting gravity. I make a big point about that. Actually, I think I put a post out today about that. Uh, Marcus Aurelius was saying, like, not like a dancer, be a wrestler, right? <coughs> Poised. Yeah. Ready to fight. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. He's also a war general. Hey, he's a stoic. And um, I really appreciate that. Yeah. 
that's my dad. Aurelius that's really... a lot of uh, that's a lot of men. I think, however, Stoics. There's a predisposition for a lot of men to turn out like that. Yeah, I feel just that kind of that rigid, rational, yeah, clinical operation. Not all men. Yeah, a certain type yeah. tend towards that stoic manner. Yeah, I think a lot of fifties men uh, would have fallen into that. Yeah, right? you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's there's a certain so- social context, right? Different time. I think we're much more in tune with our uh, spiritual side nowadays. Yeah, and. I think to be a dancer is to be rather the person ahead of the herd, mm-hmm. the person who leads it on. And I think that might be the thing with hallucinogenics and then turning it back to mythic storytelling. I think hallucinogenics are hand in hand with the oldest forms of mythic storytelling. <coughs> right. And so yeah. I think we were talking about how if you can't explain something to a five-year-old, mm-hmm. maybe you don't know it as well as you do. Yeah. Well, maybe hallucinogenics and mythic storytelling is how the hierarchical structures disperse information and value and yeah. move us on. I think yeah. about, I mean, we're so divided now, yeah. but your culture would have been your culture as opposed to these people far away generally. Yeah. Right? Like you, anything would have, would have been more internal. Yeah. Or, unless it was an area of conflict. Yeah. I think the Middle East was kind of that example, you yeah. know, high competition. Um, but I think they kind of they're all interrelated and maybe I don't want to uh, toot our own horn but I think maybe we operate at a certain level where we're able to see over the landscape yeah right yeah whereas other people maybe they could only take it to a certain level yeah I think that might be more honest because we seem to have to be able to admit that human beings we all should be treated equally but we're not made equally yeah and that's something that I think people really have a problem with yeah. What do you think? Um, I think I'm going to go on a stoner tangent right now. What's going to happen is storytelling was obviously a tool we, we picked up somewhere along the line from, you know, the timeline of us learning language and being able to communicate with each other. And a little further down, we developed the ability to tell stories using metaphorical storytelling to explain things right so we're talking about things that don't exist because i'm sure for a while we were only discussing like danger enemy you know like things we observed we're calling out things we observed and then at some point we developed the ability to talk about you know non-objective things that aren't existing in that moment and we were able to create stories anyways as this tool became sharpened over time right like we just get better and better. So if you listen to like some of the older stories, all these older religious parables, some of them kind of ramble on or discursive in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And then others are more thought out and more planned, I feel like. For example, um, if you compare just even like Greek philosophical works with like, uh, no, not even the Greeks, like, um, I just lost the train of thought. Story oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just... I mean, this is just to enjoy, right? Yeah, stories are just the tool yeah. for us to communicate with each other. But I think... What's the last story you read? Uh, ooh, it's called Papillon. Ooh. Yeah, it's a book written by an escaped convict from oh. the French Guiana, uh, was it, Pinot Colony? So, uh, it was in the 1930s to 1950s or whatever, but... 
basically in France, they shipped off their people sentenced to hard work or hard labor. They're shipped off to French Guiana in South America, or Guyana, however you want to pronounce it. But yeah, I think is it. He um, got wrongfully imprisoned for yeah. for a murder he didn't commit, and then uh, he escaped twice. And the whole book is uh, a memoir about his life living in the banyards. That's what they're called. And they're just like prison colonies. So he escaped twice on the boat. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> it was a great story. It's incredible how industrious human beings are. Yeah. That's, that's, it's it's just, just, yeah. You yeah, know, like stories like that are, are yeah. just, um, they blow me away. Yeah. I think everyone, actually, I could take, I have to take that back, sorry. Uh, I was about to say, everyone has, like, a story to tell, right? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. People, some people do not. Yeah. Some people have it's such true. a life that it's, yeah. you're a trust fund baby. Yeah. It's all been given to you. You yeah. struggled for nothing. Yeah. You're fantastic. I need no more of you. <laughs> right? It's no, I I think human beings are capable of the most incredible things. Yeah. Now, maybe we're all not meta-human types like Jesus Christ, but mm -hmm. some of us can do incredible things, make incredible sacrifices. Yeah. And it, we seem to cheer that on. Suffering seems to be a huge topic. Yeah. of storytelling that's even like the underlying theme in sports we admire athletes because they suffered a great deal to get good yeah. in what they do you know we know they sacrifice the time the effort the sweat the tears like all of it just to achieve that one goal of becoming the greatest it's amazing people are very industrious they are yeah that's that word industrious yeah. i want to like musk and um, I think Bezos too. Like they're super. Like they work ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and they're fine doing it. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, the way Musk works, like his whole thing about what's Ambien. He takes Ambien. Yeah. He has a sleep thing. Yeah, sleep problem. Okay. So is my dad. Yeah. Right. He 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 needs the TV on. To basically feed like low level information to him, so yeah. he can like nod yeah. off into this non sleep. Yeah. He gets so little sleep. Yeah. He explains all a lot. A lot will explain some that's tough. issues, right? Yeah. And like that's probably much more common than people want to admit. Yeah. And it probably frustrates the rest of their life. Yeah. And, and then maybe they're not able to be geniuses to the level that maybe Musk is. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking that there's probably a ton of people who are just unapplied or unfound. You know, they're diamonds in the rough. I know. Like I bet a couple good teachers showed you a lot of guidance. You know, anyone in particular growing up, you think, um, had an impact on you? Because I feel like the fam your family is like part coddling, part, you know, also as agitation. You know, like I feel like you find a lot of guidance outside the home. Um, I think my parents were immigrant parents, so academia was just like really heavily enforced in the house, right? And... I took to it like it didn't bother me when they forced me to do it it was kind of fun so it just continued on and uh just curiosity was the biggest thing i was never like great at anything at all like i was never actually very good at anything at all but i like to try everything you know it was just the curiosity and i think that's where it's led me to success in academia because i wasn't able to harness that before but now i understand that just let my curiosity run <laughs> but i had great teachers all along the way honestly i yeah. um Mr. Gephardt, an English teacher in high school, he was amazing. He was my freshman English teacher, and he cared about us as students. And this was when I went to Gardena High. It was a pretty, like, ghetto neighborhood. Like, there were there was a lot of violence. I knew students with guns 
on them at all times on campus. Yeah, you grew up in Torrance, right? Well, I went to Torrance after Gardena High. So okay. I grew up in Gardena and Compton, like bordering Compton for from the time I was two years old to about, I want to say nine. And uh, no, I'm sorry, Gardena all the way until fucking high school. So uh, I was 14, 13, something like that. And then I went to Torrance. Torrance was a big eye-opener. That was a real huge culture shock for me because I grew up in a pretty, like, different area. Just the Gar- what would Gardena have been like? Uh, I was largely, largely black and Mexican. Okay. And well, that's... Well, Asian yeah. and white were minorities. Like, uh, I think that... That's a different environment, yeah. Yeah, the freshman um, census for... Yeah, I had great teachers. Kev Hart was dope. He cared about us as a person. He taught me a lot of cool shit. He showed me cool music. You know what I mean? Like, he told me great authors to, like, read. He really understood my reading passion. I liked reading when I was a kid. So he encouraged that in a lot of good directions, you know? So yeah. that was really influential in my life. It seems then that there's, <clears throat> by and large, if you're fortunate, there's certain people who maybe notice your potential and they themselves are maybe people who are in your spot once. I never saw it as that. they help you. I saw it as more like we shared an interest. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you is that it? To read? I like to read. Oh, okay. You know, like, it's fun. Not everyone does it. It's fun, though. You can find a lot of joy in reading. It's a great hobby, great pastime. Absolutely. Is there anyone you look up to? Yeah, I look up to my mom. She's an amazing human being. Like, I'm blessed to have her. She's so industrious. <laughs> like, really. Love that. She's so industrious. And on top of that, she's very curious. So I get a lot of that from her, too. Yeah, badass lady. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, badass lady. We gotta go. Yeah. I think there might be a little bit left in there. Watch out, I got more of those. <laughs> <laughs> if, like, if we need it. Oh, like, no, I'm gonna be good after no. this. <laughs> I'm already a little past where I'd like to be. But that's how we do it here on this, all right? We're gonna keep it easy. We're gonna keep it fun. Well, it should have been split We're further. We'll get Tian on sometime. Yeah. Because our eyes are so cool, man. Dude, I, um... Yeah, let me talk about it for a second, then we'll jump back into what we were, we were, yeah, we were going to discuss psychedelics. Yeah. Um, so I'll discuss that. Um, so, we checked this thing out. I couldn't tell you anything about what I'm seeing. Um, I think I can see where my bone is. And yeah. This is all my left forearm, by the way. Yeah. So if you're watching, you're, um, you're not just listening, you're watching this on the YouTube uh, clip. Uh, this is an MRI that was conducted prior to summer... Actually, no, at the beginning of summer 2018, I had suffered a, um, yeah, just complete paralysis of the top side of my forearm. It completely went out and uh, was overextended. Uh, I was basically out in arm for a near half year. And... While they were trying to figure out what was going on, I did an MRI, and I'll have to say of the experience, it was largely therapeutic. I was like going in the machine, that machine, like it makes these uh, these noises. Uh, something about that Lou. It was, it was very peculiar. Yeah. Like it was very. It was peaceful in a strange way. Yeah. It's like a like a sonic massage. Interesting. To be inside it and yeah. have it go off. It, yeah, it's, it's a very strong magnetic yeah, you, field. Yeah, you'd have to be inside, I yeah. guess, to feel this. Yeah. 
I've never had an MRI, but I've heard it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to other people. They're yeah. like, yeah, it's a thing. And I'm like, yeah. that's bizarre. Yeah. How many people have MRIs? Yeah. Probably not that many. No. Because it, it's expensive. It is expensive. Yeah. I feel like it's necessary now. Yeah. You can use MRIs to diagnose a lot of cool things. I guess not cool, but <laughs> a lot of things. You know, it's interesting. The nerve study proved what the doctor initially told me about this issue. Uh, there's a pinch of uh, so many centimeters past the elbow. Gotcha. And that's what was going on. But the MRI didn't show any of that, which I thought was interesting. Huh. And then the doctor said, oh, well, your insurance only would pay for this substandard place. If you used our machine, we would have known for certain. Yeah. And I was like, zing. Damn, Damn son. He knows what's up. I love it. So it was a waste of money. Yeah. Because they went to a substandard place. Yeah. Why then paid for that it's it's just stupid the way they pinch pennies yeah the healthcare system is a mess <laughs> it really is i'm learning about it right yeah. now and it's like blowing my mind how messy it is yeah like, see i think damn. the way i see every system every system at this point yeah. is, is rather messy and then you think well okay the core of power the political power is where we must turn to then fix those systems oh yeah, it should be that way that whole system's messed up though yeah um I think in that same book I was discussing earlier, Discourses on Levy, that's, I'm certain that's the title now, by Machiavelli. He uh, says that once I think the people are corrupted, then a state can no longer be reborn. And I thought, like, ooh, that's not good. Because I feel like we're, this this yeah. tribalism, we're kind of, we're there. I yeah. feel like, and I feel like that's a topic that a lot of people like. like yeah. Yeah, like we're at the end. I'm like, shit. Yeah, yeah there's a that's, fascination that's with dark. Yeah, yeah. That's dark. Yeah, I there's think... a fascination with the downfall. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, it's like, uh, yeah, in some ways, I feel like it's this can't go on. Yeah. Right? And I, and if you don't see it getting better, then that means it's getting worse. Yeah. So that's kind of like a dark thought. But I can't, like, you know, if we're rational people, then we should be rational about that. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see a res, a po- I'd love to see a positive resolu- resolution. Yeah. That would be the ideal. Yeah. But we're not getting it. Yeah. I think, I think we can be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you can't trust any news. Yeah. Um, it's so crazy. Yeah, it's, that's you know, what yeah, you have to do. Because, like, I mean, I, I you have to look on so many sources to kind of yeah. put together an idea of yeah. what is going on. And then use your best judgment, you know. And, you know, I grew up in a time when there was not so much choice. Yeah. And I've watched it all kind of develop. So it's interesting kind of knowing that as yeah. it's happened where other people don't know that and they're glue or they're stuck on something still yeah so i think information is something that um, we're, we're not really taught to really to know how to identify and parse through you know to kind of yeah. pick apart yeah you know so what can we base our daily truths on you know what what then that really matters yeah that might be the core issue what what who are we where are we going how valid is all that you know how should that inform our lives yeah what do we know at, at the very bottom? We're all human beings. I do believe there are trusted news outlets like for certain things. Maybe not all their stuff, but like BBC, international news yeah. is generally better. I mean, it's still from the Euro- European perspective or Western perspective, but just having multiple sources. If you could read another language, that would be ideal. Oh, <laughs> yes. Just cross-reference everything. Yes. <laughs> well, I was thinking uh, Elon Musk. I think when he's getting in hot water again and again in the news media he made some sort of comment as to creating some sort of institution that would actually have a 
it would it would rate what was real. Like it would actually investigate, and yeah. you know, essentially, I'm not sure what it was really getting at, but being able to say what was real and what was not. And yeah. then he just got criticized all over again for that. But I, because what what kind of institution would that be? You'd have yeah. to think it was some sort of state institution. Yeah. You know, who would privately do that? Yeah. Would that be a service? Would that be like a like how the BBC, you pay for the service of watching yeah. the BBC, right? Yeah. I think that's how it works. In and how do you entrust England. it? You're still entrusting right. something. Right, so essentially that would be the case then. Yeah. You know, if it was private, you'd be paying for some sort of service that is providing the truth, yeah. the real yeah. truth. Like, I mean, I mean, you're asking people to report on what's happening. It's all subjective. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? I mean, I mean, we should be and able to... And there are plenty of cases of journalists stretching the truth, too. Like, yeah. It does seem like you need to have like your own personal BS meter, right? Yeah. Like you need to be able to just yeah. discern the truth, right? At this point, you sh you should expect that most people are trying to hoodwink you, you know? You're, yeah. That you're getting fucked to begin with. Yeah. Pardon me. It's funny because like I even think sometimes maybe I'm perpetrating very same problem with what I think they're having is right so like um I think if I criticize someone's stance on something I oppose and I see them reporting like fake news and stuff like that and they don't know how to check their sources I think from my point of view I'm correct but what if I'm just as blinded as they are because I can't even explain it to them so that they come back to this side you know yeah. so just on principal opposition I, he can't tell what I'm gonna say and vice versa it does seem like we need to be able to recognize that we are of different tribes and we still have to get along yeah. and that we seem to have to be able to somehow form our tribes in ways that don't outright disrespect other tribes. That seems to be the core of it because we're all so different, we're only going to get more different, Yeah. right? Society just fragments over time. Yeah. I think we could totally reinvent ourselves, and I don't see us giving up the empire. Yeah. We'll change federal institutions, maybe, but, like, what we've created, I think, is not going away. We'll just turn into something new and ideally more powerful, not um, uh, some sort of Republican, tyrannical empire state. That'd be bad. I think we just have a pluralistic global society at some point. We That'd be the, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'd like to see happen. We figure it out. I like that. I say we we can do it. We definitely have a lot of people aware of what's going on. I believe so. We have enough people to like rally. You know? Yeah. It's important that the the well-being of everyone is maximized. That's it. Like That's just it. It does seem to be the <laughs> highest value in my mind. It does seem that... There's all these institutions, hierarchies, uh, people. Mostly the financial institutions, like everyone's just out for their own. We need a system where we can all occupy the same space and have some sort of equality or equity. Equity. It's a trip, man. I'm interested to see where society goes. I wish I could live another hundred years. That'd be really cool. When people ask if you could time travel, where would you go? You would go forward? I would go forward. I think I'd go forward, too, because yeah. there's so many fascinating things to me of the past. 
Um, you'd love to watch them, but yeah. the future is just incredible. It's never what it really is. Mm -hmm. You know, because certain predictions made a while back are actually like way not true. Yeah, way not right. true. But we thought uh, we had a good grasp on it. We're having the same illusion right now, right? Same illusion. So we, we were just pardon. human tendency. We were, pardon, I'm going to get into psychedelics. Mm -hmm. What's your first psychedelic experience? Uh, I was probably 17 or 16. Ate some mushrooms in high school with a friend. And uh, we went to the beach. I had a really bad trip. Because oh. <laughs> it was nighttime at the beach. And uh, I remember just sitting on the swing and looking at the sand. Like at the park right by the end of the pier. And it was lit by the amber glow of the salt lamp on okay. the pier. And all the little divots in the sand were like screaming faces. <laughs> <laughs> so I freaked out. I wigged out, man. I was 16, 17. I was like, oh, fuck. I'm true the fuck out. You know? So like that was my first experience. And it was so traumatizing. Like I didn't touch mushrooms for a long time. Wow. Yeah. You know, for people that I've talked to who have a bad trip, I've only had some negative experiences. Uh, more from weed. Yeah. Than anything so oh, we were sleeping <laughs> like if you, if i've seen people get slept by weed dude <laughs> like puking passed out can't move a thing um you know for me it's been like i got like super lit or i have in the past where it's affected me more and my anxiety will be like you know like it makes you paranoid through the roof right yeah. and i think i'm already predisposed to be that way i just mentally control it the rest of the time yeah um, so I read, I used to read more often these, the kind of like dark future sci-fi novels. I think it was my way of escaping the bullshit in my own world. Yeah. But, um, they're very descriptive. Yeah. And so like when you're in the dark in your house and it already got like, creaks and shit and there's like ghost stories already in your mind from yeah. being a kid Mine's and like you, this, yeah. all this stuff's going on. Um, oh man. Cause, cause you're, you know what's going on. Like, okay, that's my body, but, like, it, it's, it's getting to you. Yeah. Oh, I hate that feeling. It's happening a little bit right now. <laughs> I kid, I kid. So, no, because you think about it, yeah. and you're like, oh, can you connect with that feeling, right? You're like, oh. Yeah. How about you? Um, I didn't try mushrooms until, actually, remember Sam, the bartender? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I she's gay. Um, yeah, Sam, he's the man. Yeah. And so... I would have, I would have 25 maybe. Okay. And me and my girlfriend, uh, took, I think I only bought a dose to experiment. She had a bad trip in her past and so she wanted to start light. So it just worked out that we took half each and then that was a really interesting experience because yeah. we didn't break through in any way, but like, so, like things were really off yeah. in a very unique perspective. And that really clued me into a whole bunch of shit. I was like, wow, that could not exactly leave this world, but to look at the world differently it's or such feel a, it differently. In a sharply different way. Like, yeah, it's, it's so different. It's, it's a departure. It's like sure. um, if like your eyes are a lens, yeah. right? And yeah. so it's like you're just kind of twisting the lens a little yeah. bit. You're getting kind of a different focus, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I would almost say like there's like a super focus Yeah. Uh, when you're tripping like that. Super focus. Right, it's really... Super heavy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a superhuman would yeah. be, I would be able to say it. Like, your sight is very accurate. <laughs> like, you're, you yeah. sense the world with yeah. your vision. It's yeah. a, a peculiar feeling that I can't, I haven't experienced elsewhere. Yeah. Um, 
and then I had a full, I think I did that and I was like, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I planned a trip where I went to Balboa Park in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I, I stayed at that place. It's a, it's a wonderful place. It used to be, it's the location of a, a world fair way back when, and it's a gorgeous grounds that are kept there in the center of the city. Um, I stayed in Little Italy, woke up the next day uh, with my girlfriend, and we took a full dose each, and we walked into Balboa Park, which was like just a few blocks, thank you very much, um, from where we were staying. And it kicked in like pretty quick. I thought like it'd be like, it, it was like an hour the first time it happened. Maybe that's because of the lower dose, mm-hmm. I realize now. And by the way, <clears throat> if you do mushrooms, do M&M's, works best to get rid of the, you know, Rumpelstiltskin flavor. Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't want dry mushrooms. That's yeah. a bad, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Chocolate makes it go down better. Chocolate does. Yeah, that's where it's at. Don't do, don't, milk chocolate. Milk, yeah. Dark is not going to work. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> going to make it worse. I know. Oh, shit. Um, so, okay, from there, like, it hit us probably within half an hour instead. And I'm I'm pretty good at handling my shit. Like just I appear sober, I act sober, I act. That's what I, that's like that's what I'm doing all the time, anyways. I'm I'm acting all the time. Okay. And so even when I'm like that lit, I I, I can act through it. Yeah. Even though I'm totally like freaking out inside, um, I can just handle my shit. Yeah. <laughs> and so my girlfriend had to use the restroom so she stepped away and so now I'm alone we're in this plaza and it's like kind of popping yeah like it's 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 a Saturday morning and so it's, it's the weekend in San Diego people are out tourists are in it's it's like there's a lot of people and like the back of my neck is on fire from like <laughs> feeling like this the world around me and yes yeah. um but because I was holding my shit together, I didn't freak out in any way. And so I was just kind of like able to take it all in. I was like, holy shit, this is, I mean, people would have done this in groups. Yeah. And like, that's like this, like this, uh, rather than like the feeling I'm getting now, I wonder what that'd be like this, this group, yeah. um, this group effect. I don't know. That'd be kind of different because I've only ever done it with one other person so i don't know what it'd be like in kind of like a, a group setting that's kind of yeah. interesting and you think about like how it. i'm not a fan of doing it in a group session oh that bad yeah. yeah i just don't like it i think uh i just enjoy being by myself and kind of checking shit out i mean i've done it with people and it's cool but like i want to just sit and wander <laughs> you like let my mind wander. i think i think the best part of that trip was that we stopped at this one like little if there's like a faux rainforest and so, like, there's this little secluded area, yeah, that's right? Nice, yeah. Right. And so it was like this little descent, and we're just like, it was like warm, and we were shaded, yeah. and we we're just like chill. So we sat down on these tree stumps, and we talked about like, I think, the life in the universe and all yeah. sorts of like goofy yeah. ass shit. And it was, yeah. it was blowing our minds, and yeah. like the world was like, again, it was like super sharp, and you know, it felt like the tropics, and it was, yeah. it was, um, we like got back to nature in just that trip. Yeah. Right? It was in a park, but, you know, it kind of worked. I definitely think you need to do this in nature or some yeah, sort of 100%. natural setting. 100%. That seems to be necessary, I think. For the best. Yeah. To be, uh, yeah, to be therapeutic, I yeah. think. Because I think they they should be made legal and available, widespread. Yeah. Um, 
I think that, you know, as human beings, intelligent human beings, there's a certain shit that the government can't really tell us that we can't use. Right? I, I think that, you know, I think in those countries where they've legalized some drugs, they've, they've seen a remarkable kind of problem with criminalization of it, whereas we have one where, you know, we're prosecuting a drug war, yeah, and we're just putting people in prison, yep. and we're destroying lives, yep. and I don't see a great people deal of... need help. Yeah, <laughs> help. Yeah. Help. Not imprisonment. Yeah. yeah. We don't, I don't crazy. know. I, we need a prison population. Yeah. It's pretty awful. It is. Yeah. Also, I think the uh, the homeless situation is pretty bad, too. Hey, do you think you uh, saw a lot of that growing up? Yeah. It's pretty common. Grocery store, gas station. How do you feel compared to Torrance and Anaheim? Torrance is nice. <laughs> yeah. It was a nice little suburb. It was beautiful there. Yeah. It was a really nice population. Everyone was friendly. There weren't any crimes. It was a nice part of town. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Met some really cool people there, actually. A lot of my childhood friends are still friends from Torrance and stuff. I talked to like a handful from the Gardena era. Yeah, Torrance is cool. But yeah, do it in nature. <laughs> it's so fun, man. Like everything's just Twitter, like breathing and like, you see such beautiful patterns and it's mind opening. It's just so mind opening. It's such a great way to see life just for that moment but sometimes you just get the giggles you ever get the ones where you just giggle the whole time like oh yeah out too much visuals but like you're giggling like everything's fun yeah it does seem like the, the feel-good feelings are just like hitting you full force so yeah it's um you're just like overwhelmed with joy <laughs> yeah yeah and i think it's only when you kind of lack a direction do you kind of dip yeah. at all yeah i remember we, we walked out of the park and like we didn't have an immediate plan so it started really bugging us yeah. being in the city and yet not knowing what we were going to do it yeah. seemed to like just end everything it was yeah. bad it's bad yeah. so you, you got to take care of yourself yeah that shit can really scare you have you ever gotten <laughs> scary. i guess it would be a bad trip the fear yeah now if, if anyone gets that that's a um, fear and loathing reference yeah and i it's so bizarre it's, i was staying somewhere in san clemente where i had another trip and they had uh, brandished a knife, just a cutting knife. And I think they had kind of like a, not like mean look, just like a kind of grinning, fierce look, just kind of to be fun. Yeah. They're tripping too. Yeah. And the, somehow I took it as threatening and we're like, like pretty blown at this point. And so like, I totally get the fear like that. And I'm in a different world altogether after that. So that that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Because the the change in feeling was yeah. like she couldn't understand what had happened. Yeah. And it was totally real. And I was because like I'd heard it, you know, and read it, but for to feel that is different. Yeah. You know, that's there's a dirt different quality to everything. Yeah. It's it was that's I wouldn't want it again. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's the kind of the gamble, yeah. right? Like things, you know, 
So you want you want to be in a safe yeah. environment. It's good to have a sober person. I've had plenty yeah. of friends who like stay sober and they guide you through it. I've been that friend too. Like mm. I've been sober and I guided my friends through a four hour hike up a mountain, dude, <laughs> Big Sur, and we just hiked straight up this mountain. It took oh, them like wow. two hours to go because they were like you know all tripping and like meandering and like looking at flowers and stuff. I'm like, come on, guys, let's go. We got like four miles to go. So you know we just kept hiking and. You know, some of them would bat trip a little bit, and I just keep going. Like, yeah, you're good. Just stay safe. <laughs> Don't fall off the mountain. Man, you could have someone like bring you back to reality pretty fast. Like, if you're bat trip, you could tell when someone's bat tripping on mushrooms. Like, you could just look at it like, oh shit, he's about to bat trip right now. Hey man, let's go for a walk. Just change it up. The tone changes so quickly as soon as you get out of that mindset and you shift away from it. The rest of it follows like it's just it doesn't seem as grim and dark anymore it seems like we all need to be i'm not sure about the whole world until probably the whole world honestly americans especially need to be working less and taking care of ourselves more it seems like all the things that you and i know are good for us that we, we're able, we become able maybe to integrate into our lives in some way if we're um hopeful yeah. you know you have some sort of complex set of uh, things you adhere to that keep you in tip-top shape to do everything you need to know. I do rather. Um, you know, I've got the diet. I've got a certain regimen of, you know, I need to sleep so much. I need to do this so much. I need to do exercise, you know, A and B, and, and I'll be at optimal, you know, capacity to engage. Right? Yeah. It seems that, you know, you, you have to be fortunate to be in that spot. Yeah, to, in to life. You know that, set up to right? Have it's that, yeah. and it, it seems like we we we, we want to believe in this progression. We see, we think, and we talk about it being possible. Yeah. But you know, is anyone really set up to do so? You know, it's it's more like a lot of things came together to allow us individually to reach this spot. Yeah. A lot of it's circumstance. Just... Yeah. Do you think we need some sort of... I didn't choose I, so much of who I am, you know? Like, it just happened. <laughs> I hear it's Yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, environmental. Yeah. It, and it does just happen. Yeah. It's fate. Yeah. You know, that's... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's oh, my definition. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so in touch with that one. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, I think once once you get there, once you love it, yeah. your fate, you're, you're set. It's fascinating. Yeah. There's no other way. Yeah, that's it. See, that's just it. Once you're there, there is no other way. And I dare say most people, they're probably, they believe someone else's beliefs. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure if it's like a, a huge... I do that a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a huge rule of uh, his, but with Nietzsche, he recommends stepping away. In Zarathustra, he means uh, his disciples to kind of step away. He takes a break from them. Yeah. And that they should go off and kind of be who they are before kind of coming back yeah you know and i kind of did that i'm only engaging in his text just to kind of remind them myself of them and i'm kind of engaging edson network nice yeah you remember edson oh love it would you want to do a podcast with him yeah yeah let's go we'll do it yeah that dude's funny yeah he's He's um, really smart yeah he's uh he's catching up on a bunch of nietzsche books and he's uh he got into the meditations yeah uh because jesse imperial i think and myself and Edson all together yeah. had agreed to like read them and talk about them. We kept agreeing to read books and then talk about it. It never worked out because yeah. we're always doing shit. Yeah. But um, he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, 
Completely agree. It's a very interesting cool. dude because I think we talked about this once before, another day, where Edson was a guy that grew up with a lot of television, and he admits freely that it definitely affects how he operates. Yeah. And I think I grew up um, kind of with a mix, probably a good mix of TV and books, and so I, I know the I've known the greater value of books for a lot longer than I think some people, and that's why I think I'm uh, as deep into some things as I am or yeah. become. Whereas I think you, you did a lot of library, right? You yeah. you read a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so that's really colored your. We didn't really have a nice TV, and we didn't have cable, and <laughs> we didn't have a DVD player, you know. So for a long time, like I just read. My sisters watched like some stuff on like the public channels that we could pick up, like five, seven, eleven, thirteen. That was it. You know, like those four or five channels. It was good stuff on eleven, I think. Yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff. That's where the Simpsons were. Actually. Yeah. 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 The Simpsons were amazing. What, what a great show. Dude, only later <laughs> in life did I understand so much about it now. It's such a great show. Because uh, when you're a kid, you don't get yeah. all that shit. But, but like, you pick it, some of it yeah. up, and you just comprehend it. Yeah. Where it's like, you realize later, oh, that's a fucking truism right yeah. there. Fuck. Yeah, their writers are really smart. Yeah, and, that's... Um, a lot of them were like ex-computer scientists and physicists. Like the writers for the Simpsons were all brilliant dudes. You know, it's incredible. It's, the show was so good. What a great run! I've been rewatching it. I own seasons one through twelve, and I love them to death. See, it's like it's it's like today. Like I probably could let my kid watch The Simpsons and don't have a problem. Yeah, Family Guy is a little more. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's too much, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Too that's, much innuendo. Yeah, yeah, too yeah. much. I mean, the Simpsons. Yeah, well, yeah. I like my kids. I understood it. Like when I was that age, I understood oh. it. It was like, okay, this is really just trying to be ostentatious and like <laughs> we're gonna make the most horrific cutscenes. Like everything's a quick cutscene that makes these makes these heavily sexual innuendos like heavily ah so sexual. <laughs> Uh, it's good. Edit that out, please. Hey, don't worry about it. We're good. We're good. Yeah. Oh, just man. Um, I'm shy. No, no, not at all. I'm just teasing, man. But yeah, Family Guy's really intense. Same with South Park. But even so, like, when I watched South Park, it was pretty... I understood it. And it's, I bet you probably started watching South Park at a younger age, right? Yeah, like middle school. See, that's just it. Like, they, they probably were supposed to aim for higher. Yeah. But, of course, everyone younger is watching that shit, yeah. right? Like, I picked it up from my older brothers. And, yeah. you know, and then that's in your lexicon. And then you're all dirty mouth, too. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> it's pretty bad. So, yeah. like, you, yeah, your environment defines yeah. you. And we yeah. grew up at a certain... Like, millennials are... Yeah. Like, shit don't phase us, right? Like, we're... That's why our, like, our generation is going to do... Like, we're so set for change. Like, we pretty much feel like it has to happen. Yeah. And it, feel, it feels like it's gaining continual momentum. Yeah. You know, as long as those with power continue to hold on power. And it's... Yeah. Like, I feel like that's probably always the case. That would be whoever's at the end, they're holding on to it, right? Like, that's why these structures exist. And why that's why these powers that be have been for so long. Let's go back to a monarchy. <laughs> I feel like people would almost be okay with that, with the idea that the person would be some sort of paragon. But that's so, like the just king is so unlikely. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> I mean, very few people genuinely want human good and also the duty of caretaking that. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. and then you have to admit that you're probably gonna be hated and loved. Yeah. You know, and are you okay with that? Always, forever. Right? That's hard to live. Yeah. Yeah. 
taking care of everyone else is probably the most demanding thing there is. Yeah. And it's hard to, you need a Jesus. Yeah. I mean, literally like that. selfless person. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, that's, that you can idealize the most selfless person. Yeah. Yeah. He would. Sorry. Where are y'all? Yeah. <laughs> it's true though. Is that, is that why we're probably, we're falling apart? Is that we just don't have quality people at the top? I think money and power influences who speaks. And that was kind of happenstance. <laughs> yeah, like, we didn't really choose who came into power. Really, these people were born of, you know, certain social, I guess, grade. You know what I mean? Like, some of these yeah. guys are like, mm-hmm. you know, private institutions, like, prep school, straight to fucking Harvard, you know, and then on to become lawyers, and then president. Yeah. But that's, part that's, of like, the, that's the yeah. typical career path, right? I think that's why Trump is so liked, because he didn't have that career path at all. But every president before was pretty much politician, lawyer turned politician. No, absolutely. It does, um, I'm reminded of Shakespeare, can you say they kill all the lawyers? Yeah, 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 fuck. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Should regular citizens be in government? Should there be no term limits? Should we only allow one term? There should be people dedicated to the study of how to govern. (laughs) It seems like, isn't that kind of like what? That's what you want. Your most qualified candidate has to be someone who's, you know, well-versed in legal matters and how to proceed forward and still has that grand empathy that you're looking for in a politician. It has to come, but like I said, the powers that be, we didn't choose them. That was just, you know, pedigree, pretty much. <laughs> That's pedigree. A lot of them are just built to do that. Parents afforded them their entire education, you know, and some of them are really smart, like crazy smart. She got the money. <laughs> it seems to move a lot of things, unfortunately. It's a very useful tool. It seems that those on the left, uh, postmodernists, might argue that it, it might be better to upset the whole system. Kind of just turn the board over. Yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> That's anarchy. <laughs> it, it seems that some people, people, a lot of people would want to say that from the ashes, yeah. whatever better will emerge. Um, I believe that we are at a state in our society where I would hope we do this through conversation and not war. Or violence more broadly we should be able to talk about it yeah yeah I think that's the big problem we seem to not be engaging enough or uh, there's the deep deplatforming that's a big mm-hmm. issue right now where we're, we're, we're silencing people or getting mm-hmm. them off like banning them yeah that's From the deal speaking in public yeah, yeah. It's that's can yeah it's, it's we're we'll, they'll find outlets they're just they're making it very hard to get hurt yeah. You know, and these are private organizations largely, I believe, where this is occurring. As I understand. I'm not sure. Maybe we don't know enough about this. So yeah. pardon us. We're just lay people. <laughs> We're being honest, yeah. yeah. It's all we can do. Uh <clears throat> Sir, I've kept you an hour and a half. Would you want to cut it there? Yeah. That works for me. Alright, this, this has is... been this is a pleasure it's great to just like sit and talk i'd like i'd love to bring in uh another guest to share in uh i think maybe three minds might be able to 
kind of expand what we can talk about, I yeah. think, in the time allotted. For sure. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. All right. Yeah, thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you.